as they're headed to their classes. Uh, let me remind everybody that just walked in, maybe if you didn't know, um, this is our 2019 summer series. And what we do is we do character studies on different characters right now from the Old Testament. Our plan is to go through the whole Bible. Uh, but what we do is every year we assign certain books. This year it's uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Job are the books that we're covering characters uh, from those books. Well, the character we're going to be covering tonight is Esther. And our guest speaker is Brother Garrett Sander. You already heard Garrett for the, the invitation portion. But um, Garrett is a graduate of the Southwest School of Biblical Studies um, in Texas. He and his wife Linda are here with their kids. Grace and David, and they're no strangers to the congregation. They've been involved in our works here and vice versa with theirs um, for years. There are good hard workers up there um, at Bible Camp, too. I know we got Linda in charge of just about everything at Bible Camp. She's a cabin leader. She's in charge of all the servers in the kitchen, and um, I appreciate her work. Garrett can't come this year. Shame on Garrett, because if you didn't know, on top of being the preacher in Lemoore, Garrett also works full-time at Les Schwab there in, in Hanford. In fact, he got off at 6 o'clock today and made it here in time to still preach. And he might still have some grease on his hands when you shake his hands, but he did manage to take off the Les Schwab shirt, which I thought you would wear. It's white and pressed and starched already. Not, not by the end of the day. Okay. It'd be a good uh, lesson to work ethic. But we're glad to have Garrett here. He's a preacher for the Lamore Church of Christ. Also worked with churches in Oregon and Vacaville, I know, and other places. Um, great student of God's Word. I've enjoyed our friendship over the years. And, and um, definitely, um, I know he builds me up, and I hope we do the same for him. So I'll turn it over to Garrett as he deals with the topic of Esther. Well, I appreciate Cliff's kind words, and uh, this congregation has always been a blessing to our family, and uh, many of you know uh, just in this last year how much this congregation has blessed our family, and uh, not only as, an, as, groups, but as, a, as a group, but many individuals as well, and um, words could never express what this congregation means to Linda and myself, um, so thank you, and uh, it's a pleasure to, to be with you tonight. Uh, to study a portion of God's Word. Now, I have both the benefit and the unenviable task of starting everything off. Um, it's a benefit to me because I know that there's at least two other guys that are on the schedule this year that are also doing characters from the book of Esther. So I can walk all over their lessons. I'm going first. Uh, <laughs> But on the other side of that, I also had to be very careful in my preparations because I don't want to walk all over somebody else's lesson if I can avoid it. And so we're going to try to stay kind of close to Esther herself tonight as we look at this. Um, as you, and I hope you have your Bibles, and I invite you to go ahead and open to the book of Esther. Uh, one of only two books uh, in the Bible named after a woman, the other being Ruth. Uh, and Esther is our primary focus uh, although her cousin-slash-uncle uh, Mordecai also plays a very important role in the book. But um, Esther is a uh, Jewish uh, young lady, uh, probably almost definitely born in captivity, who, through the providence of God, ascends to be the queen of Persia. That's... You know, God has a, a way of doing this, right? Taking people from very humble uh, 
things and making them very, very powerful. We could go to the book of Genesis and we could see Joseph, the same thing happens there. Goes from being a slave to the second most powerful person uh, in all of, uh, all of Egypt. And we have a similar thing happen here with Esther. Now, as, we, as you read through the book of Esther, uh, you see Esther develop quite a bit. In the beginning of the book, she's a young woman who kind of is at the mercy of her circumstances. Uh, the king, Ahasuerus, uh, some Bibles uh, uh, call him Xerxes, uh, he disposes his previous queen uh, because, well, she refused to do something she should have refused to do. Um, but she's, she's put aside and they go out and they issue this edict for all of the young virgins of the land to be brought to the king, and whichever one he chooses is going to be the queen. And that's how we first meet Esther, um, also uh, called by her uh, Hebrew name of Hadassah. Um, but that's how we're introduced to her, is that she is one of these young maidens brought uh, to the king's harem, uh, and she, uh, she follows after uh, some instructions given to her by Mordecai, as well as uh, the... Uh, the, the man that's in charge of the uh, uh, of these ladies, um, and she impresses the king and is made the queen. But through that development, I want to focus on three things. Um, you know, I was kind of going over my lesson, and I realized I have three points. Not because I think I have to have three points; it just happened to be that way. I so three points. Here we go. No poems, though. Uh, preacher joke. Uh, three points in a poem. But uh, Okay, number one, we see that Esther and her personal development were helped along because she surrounded herself with good people. Okay, now her cousin, uncle Mordecai, she didn't necessarily surround herself with him as much as he surrounded her, but she listens to him. Throughout this book, she takes his counsel she seeks, out, uh, seeks him out, and we learn from that that, you know, as, as young people, as young people, uh, you don't get to pick your parents. Um, and we're not perfect. We make mistakes. But our hope as parents, and I say this having my two children right there, is that eventually we're going to get to a point where you guys actually come to us, that we aren't, you know, combatants in the whole thing of life, but... Uh, you know, that's our goal, right? As parents, is, and essentially Mordecai becomes her parents in the loss of her, uh, her own. But she comes to him and she seeks his counsel. We, uh, we also saw that uh, uh, she listened to uh, the eunuch in charge of the, uh, the harem. But specifically, I want to look at, um, in chapter 3, during Haman's plot to kill the Jews or excuse me, chapter 4 is where I want to go, sorry. Um, so they learn about this plan, and Mordecai comes, and he tells Esther, and he tells Esther, you've got to go to the king. And she says, well, an interesting thing about uh, ancient Persia is even the queen could not just go to the king. You know, we, I think a lot of times we have this kind of like, I don't know, maybe overly Disney 
view of kings and queens, uh, especially now that we live in 21st century United States where we don't have a king or a queen. But, um, you know, in ancient times, crossing the king was a really good way to end up dead. Um, And one of the laws of Persia is that nobody could just approach the king's court unless they were summoned, not even the queen. Uh, And Esther's very nervous about this because if she goes to the king and he's not happy to see her that day, she's going to die. And so Mordecai challenges her to, to speak up But look at chapter 4, verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Now that says a lot right there as well that Esther had become the type of person that even somebody who is essentially her father says, okay, you've got a good plan, let's go with this. But she also has faith because she surrounded herself, these uh, ladies-in-waiting, if you will, these maidens that are there to attend to her, she, she just says, they're going to do this along with me. And the implication that I get from the text is that they're not going to do it simply because the queen says, you don't get to eat for three days but that these women would want to help Esther, that they would want to pray with her and fast with her and prepare for this scary task in front of her. And so she surrounded herself with people that are going to help her to do what she needs to do, to do God's will. Now, interestingly, this is one of the only books of the Bible that never mentions God directly. This is absolutely a book on providence, and I think one of the reasons that it's, and I think that is one of the reasons that studying Esther can be so powerful for you and I. Because there aren't any prophets coming with a word directly from God. There aren't any uh, miracles contained in this book. In, in a way, the book of Esther is a, a photograph or a, a, a look, a peek at what kind of everyday life was for the Jew, and then also for us today. Where we have, you know, again, the message of the prophets, but nobody is receiving new revelation. When myself or Cliff or whoever gets up here, we're not getting, you know, fed a direct feed from God like they could back in the Old Testament and in early New Testament times. And so, it's, it's how they had to live. Sometimes there was a lot of questions and a lot of maybes, and you still had to do what you had to do, and so you needed that support network, and we do too today as Christians. In fact, God created a support network for us, the church. But the church being in existence doesn't mean that it's our support network. You see, because we have to make the church our support network. And I don't mean what we have to do is we have to just show up every Sunday and Thursday uh, until people take notice of us and somebody invites us over to their house. No, what we have to do is we have to make the church our support network. That means I have to go and I have to seek out people. 
And I have to impart a little bit of myself to them. And that's what Christianity is about. Paul talked about that in the book of 1 Thessalonians. He talks about the way that he preached to those Christians there in Thessalonica. And he says, I gave a piece of myself to you. I imparted some of myself to you. Now, there's danger in that. Because people are people. We are far, far from perfect. And people are going to hurt you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are going to hurt you at times. They may not even do it intentionally. Unfortunately, there are those that will do it intentionally as well. But we can't let that stop us because we need that support. And by the way, your preacher and your elders need that as well. And we often, we use the term minister when we talk about preachers. Who ministers to the minister? Who serves the elders? Well, you do. Because they need it as well. They need people they can trust, that they can go to, that they can call at odd hours of the night when something is heavy on their heart and say, will you pray with me? We all need that. There was a study done a few years ago, and it was, what they did is they looked at converts, and this was, this was like broad, this wasn't within the church, this was kind of like throughout what we might very loosely call Christendom, but they looked at converts, and they looked at, at the attrition rate, that is, the number of people who maybe convert to something but then are gone within a couple of years. And they talked to people who stuck it out for more than two years. And what they found overwhelmingly is that those people had built a support network within that community. They actually put a number on it. Number seven. Seven individual connections. Seven people that through the process of their conversion, they developed a relationship with and felt that those seven people were people that they could call on. So, who's your seven? And maybe another great and maybe even more important question is, whose seven are you a part of? Because we have to serve as much as we are served. And so we need to have a, a, a reciprocal uh, relationship in the church that we've got our seven, but we need to be that to those people and to others as well. To be those people that, can, that, that are sought out when times are very difficult, like Esther experienced. Because that's what God intended. <clears throat> When the rich young ruler walked away, the disciples were shocked. They said, if he, you know, if, who can make it? You know, because Jesus says there that it was was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the the apostles are like, well, who's going to make it then? And Jesus said it was those that, that did the work. And you know what Jesus did? He served. 
He made connections. Oh, and that's right, Jesus didn't do it alone either. He didn't have seven, he had 12. Sometimes I think we overvalue ourselves. It's a common thing. We tend to do it a lot as, as human beings. Okay? But I just want you to take just a minute and think about the fact that when Jesus, when God himself took on human form, he didn't try to do it on his own. He surrounded himself with other servants. And he needed them in his times of trial. He needed them in the garden. I want you to think about that. We, we focus a lot on Jesus' prayers, but he asked the apostles to pray with him as well. He even took the three further into the garden and said, pray. He wanted those men with him, praying. So we need to surround ourselves with people who will help us to do what we need to do. Okay. Now, point number two is very much connected to this. But we often think, you know, people who are going to support us. And so those are, we think, okay, those are people who are going to shower us with love and affection and all the things. And absolutely. But you know what? You need at least one of your seven to be. Somebody will hit you upside the head when you need it. Okay? That was Mordecai. Okay? In the same connected passage right here in chapter 4, Mordecai goes to Esther and he says, you've got to do something about this. And her initial response is, I can't do anything about this. But look what he says in verse 13. Then Mordecai told them, that is the messengers, to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jew, for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. There's an important fact here that Mordecai brings out, and that is the will of God will be performed because God is God. And he's going to make sure that whatever he wants to happen is going to happen. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He's not going to stop now. The question that we have to ask ourselves is that when God gives us opportunities, when he puts us in positions like he put Esther... And again, like Mordecai's words here, you and I can't say, well, God put me here for this reason. We have to say, maybe he put me here. That's okay. That doesn't take away from the power of the situation, right? But what are we going to do, or what do we do with those opportunities? And do we have somebody in our lives like Mordecai that when we start to take that step back, when we start to go, you know, I'm not sure if I can do this, that person that's going to go, well, who else is going to do it? I've had several of those people uh, in my life, uh, thankfully. A couple of them are in this room. That's humbling in itself. But I always go back to to one, one man. Uh, he also has gone on to his reward, but um, it was Linda's great uncle, Jack. 
Jack helped to found the congregation in Rogue River where uh, I began my preaching career, if you will. And it was Jack who basically just signed me up one Sunday and said, well, guess what? In about a month, you're going to do the Sunday morning sermon. And I said, no. And he said, yes, you are. I needed that push. Because, and I think, I think that people like Jack can see it. I was languishing. I was showing up, but that was about it. And he pushed me to do more. He pushed me to do what I needed to do. And that was 11 years ago, and it seems like an entire lifetime. But we need those people who are going to call us out, who are going to say, you're not doing what you need to be doing. We have example of that, even with maybe some great men that you might think of as well. For example, in the book of Galatians, Paul mentions how he had to be that guy to Peter. Because Paul was working in Galatia, and the Jews and the Gentiles were getting along, and then Peter and some others came up from Jerusalem to support that work, and not necessarily with any harmful intent, but Peter was segregating himself. And his actions caused others to do the same. That is, he and his, he and his companions from Jerusalem had, had pulled not only themselves, but the other Jewish Christians away from their Gentile brethren. And Paul had to go to Peter. And Paul says, I confronted him to his face. Galatians chapter 2, by the way. Because Peter was wrong. And he needed a push to do better. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It doesn't always have to be, well, you're currently doing something that is absolutely sinful and you need to stop that. Sometimes we need that because we become callous. We become easy with our own sin. Jesus said something about that too, right? It's easier sometimes to see the speck in my brother's eye than to see the beam sticking out of my own. Sometimes we need somebody to come over, pull that beam out of our eye, and slap us upside the head with it. And so we need, in that group, we don't need a bunch of yes-men, but we need people who are going to challenge us to be more godly. We need people that are going to say, I will race you to God. And then they just take off and expect us to catch up. We need that. We need motivation. And so we gotta, we've got to find those people. Sometimes those people are called Pauls or Barnabases. You need them. Oh, and yeah, you need to be them too. You need to be somebody that other people can look to as a help. Now, obviously our ultimate goal and our perfect uh, example is Jesus Christ. And so we always have to be striving to be like Jesus. Okay? But I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at Jesus and I go, I'm not even close 
I don't know how to get there. And we don't need to be comparing ourselves to others in the sense of, well, at least I'm better than that guy. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. We need people, though, that that are maybe pushing, that are maybe a little bit more advanced in their Christian walk, whether that's in, in years or just in their application of it. But we need those people that we can look to and say, you know what, they're going for Jesus. They're a little bit closer to where I am, and I can try to catch up to them. Oh, yeah, this is biblical as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. But we need those people that are going to push us and drive us to do what we need to do. And then we've got to listen to them. I've gotten a lot of good advice that I didn't listen to over the years. Because it's, it's hard sometimes to take advice. You've got to be humble. You've got to admit that, you know what, I don't know it all. Or maybe I don't know what I'm doing at all. And so we've got to have those people. And there again, one of those character traits is somebody who, who's not going to give up on us. Because change and growth is hard and we're going to push back. And we need people who are going to stick it out and are going to keep pushing us even though we push back. Excuse me. My mind just went blank. I was going to say something and then it was gone. All right, moving on. All right, so we need to have a support group. We need to have people that will push us. All right? And here's the last thing from Esther's life that we need to learn. We've got to do it. Okay? It's great that Mordecai pushed her. It's great that she said, okay, Mordecai, you go pray with all of the other Jewish people in the city. I'm going to have my maidens. We're going to pray. If it had stopped there, though, we wouldn't be talking about Esther at all. Sometimes we overplan and underperform. Esther didn't do that. She took her three days, she got things together, and then she does it. She goes to the king. She literally lays it all out on the line. She, she puts her life on the line to do this. Now, she's also really smart about it. She doesn't just walk in there and go, your guy over here is trying to kill us all. She kind of she works it, okay? She plays the system a little bit. It's okay. Jesus said we're supposed to be wise as serpent but innocent as doves. Okay? Sometimes we've got to work within the system that we're given. Sometimes we've got to work with what we are given. And we have to keep ourselves pure. That's the innocent as doves part. Okay? We can't lie, cheat, and steal our way into heaven or other people into the church. Okay? But sometimes we've got to kind of work within... Uh, the boundaries that we have. And she goes, and she, she talks to the king. 
And not only does she talk to the king, but then she helps to devise the plan that eventually saves the Jewish people. And so while we've got our support group, while we've got our push, our, our people that push us, we've got to just step out there sometimes and be ready to fall. Esther didn't fall. Okay? She marched triumphantly, and the, uh, the Jewish people actually from, the, from this time uh, had a new festival, had a new celebration of God's deliverance called Purim. Um, uh, in the New Testament, it's also referred to as the Feast of... Uh, uh, I forgot it. Jesus went to it. I can't think of it off the top of my head now. Uh, sometimes that happens. Read the Gospels. It's in there. You'll find it. Uh, but it's because she did. Now, Mordecai's right. If Esther hadn't done it, God would have found a way to save his people because that's what he did. He saves his people. Okay? But how tragic is it, or would it be, if on the day of judgment, Esther or you or I have to stand there before God and he goes, I gave you this opportunity. I gave you everything you needed. I gave you a support group. I gave you people to push you. I gave you all of the equipment and intellect that you needed, and you did nothing. Okay, I want you to just, just think about that. I don't know about you, but uh, I've had men in my lives, my own father included, they could yell, they could, they could get angry, they could blow their top, they could do all kinds of stuff, but there were times that that didn't hit me as much as when I did something and my dad or one of these other men or somebody just looked at me with that look. Call it the disappointed dad look. Okay? A look where it, it, it's not so much that is it's that there's there's a feeling that you've hurt them behind it okay i hope you can all picture that look in your mind and then picture getting it from god now he is wrathful and the day of judgment is going to be a very, very bad day for a lot of people. But it doesn't have to be for us if we're doers of the word. I'm going to say something challenging because I can say it here because I'm not the preacher here. And nobody from Lamore is here. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, it is not the elders or your preacher's jobs to do the work of the church. It is your job. They are the facilitators. They are the Mordecais. 
They are the support group. They are the ones to push you, but it is not their job to pick up for hundreds of people. Because here's the thing, they can't. Cliff's a good guy. He's a great preacher. But he can only do so much. Nick's a good guy. He's a good, great preacher as well. He can only do so much. The elders, good men, they can only do so much. All the Bible class teachers, all those things. We... We need help. I'll tell you something that I've kind of found out being a preacher, at times being in charge of the education ministry within our congregations. It says a lot about how much of the congregation is really committed to being doers when it comes time for a teacher to step back for a semester or for a quarter. If, if the preacher or the elders or whoever's up here giving announcements, if they have to beg for weeks for somebody to step up and take a kid's class, hey, guess what? You're somebody. You may not feel qualified. You may be scared to death of a room full of six-year-olds, and you should be. Uh, but be a doer. When there's a ministry, when there's an event, when there's something, it, it may be the, the most uncomfortable thing you can ever even think of doing. Do it. And I'll let you in on a secret. You're going to fail. Not every time. But it's going to happen. That's something that, that's a hard lesson for somebody like myself. Okay? I have a classic fear of failure to the point where I have in, let it cripple me from activity because I, I don't think I can do that, so I'd better just not do it because then I can't f fail. But see, that's the thing, is as Christians, inactivity is failure. James, a guy who might know a little something about Jesus and his personality, is the one that tells us that we have to be doers and not just hearers only. That we've got to get out there and put these things in action. Because the church needs us. There may never, there's not necessarily going to be a book written about you or your life. That's okay. It's more important that your name is recorded in somebody else's book. So if that clock's right, I've got about four minutes to kind of try to bring this around here, all right? So from Esther's life, from Esther herself, from her development that we see from somebody who's pretty unsure and is very much dependent on other people telling her what to do to somebody who takes action and, and rules in multiple senses of that term. Because she built a support network. 
because it's part of that support network she built into that people who pushed her. And then she went out and she did it. I want to close with one, one thought, okay? And this is, this is very much tied into Esther's actions. I mentioned before, Esther put her life on the line. Okay? I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in chapter 2, Jesus begins dictating his letters to the seven churches of Asia. The second of those letters begins in verse 8, and it's to the church in Smyrna. Um, And by the way, the church in Smyrna was doing a good job because Jesus didn't rebuke them really. Um, But he says in verse 10, He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. This passage is quoted up and down all over throughout the brotherhood. Okay, And we often quote it and people often ascribe it to be faithful until you die. But that is not what Jesus says here. He says, be faithful unto death. He says, you be faithful even if it costs you your life. I think that's the greatest example and the greatest lesson that Esther gives us. Is that we've got to do God's work even if it costs us our life. Even if it costs us our livelihood. Even if it costs us our families. Even if it costs us everything. Trust me, heaven and every other gift God can give you will outweigh any of that. Ten, fifty, a hundredfold. And so let's all go out there and let's all be doers. Let's all be faithful unto death. Uh, if you will, I'd like to close uh, with a prayer tonight. <clears throat> So if you'll pray with me. Our Lord and our Father, we ask, Lord, that you'll be with us tonight as we go from this place. We ask that you'll be with us each and every day of our lives. Help us, Father. Give us strength. Give us courage. Help us, Father, to forge those bonds that we need. Help us to form those bonds of fellowship, those bonds of fellow labor. Help us to be there for one another to be sources of comfort and encouragement and edification and admonishment and even chastisement if that's what we need, Father. Help us to love one another, to love you enough to take those things and to to use them and to be better. And Help us, Father, to be doers. Help us to, to put our eyes firmly upon you, to put our eyes firmly upon your Son, firmly upon what you would have us to be and not let other things get in our way. Help us, Father, as we strive each and every day to be more what you would have us to be. To be a little bit more like your Son. To be a little bit closer to you, Father. And help us to help others to do the same. 
Lord, we ask that you'll be with us in your son's name.